0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for the newest edition of the I Am the Law well podcast. This is Daniel Gershberg, and I'm actually super excited about today's guest. Um, I've been meaning to talk to her for some time. Um, she's really, uh, as I mentioned, we're talking to her briefly, she's a pioneer in the field. Um, and she, Carolyn Elfon, actually is is going to discuss so much about what solo and small form practices is, is going to look like. She's really written about it in depth for years now um, and I respect her voice so much and I'm so happy that, that she joined me today. So Carolyn, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thank you. This, uh, this sounds like it'll be fun.
0: I think it'll be, I think it'll be a fun time for, uh, for both of us. So um, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got here, what, what sort of made you um, decide to, even as far back as going to law school, like how'd, how'd you actually get to where you are now?
1: Well, I guess I was one of the people who uh, went to law school, partly because I, I was vaguely interested in law, but also because I wanted it to make me a better writer. I uh, wrote for various uh, school publications before that, and I felt that, uh, I think I remember writing my law school essay that a law school would impose a rigor on my writing, and little did I know that it would <laughs> squeeze a lot of the emotion out of it until I figured out how to deconstruct and, and put it back in. Sure. Um, so when I graduated from law school, I would worked at large firms as a summer associate and I discovered that the reward for being quote-unquote one of the top associates was that you know you just got more pie, so to speak, which right. meant that you know you got to work longer hours and so I decided I didn't want to do that right away after graduating. So I started looking for uh, positions with the government and I wound up at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I was there for two years, then I worked at a Boutique energy practice. And you know, there were a lot of things about energy law that I that I liked. There were also things points where I thought about changing, but back then it was so difficult to get additional information. I think today, for a young attorney out of school, like even as, as much as 10 years out of school. There's much more opportunity for mobility just in terms of being able to see what other people are doing and being able to um, you know, take advantage of online resources to retrain yourself for another position. So in any event, I was at the boutique energy firm for um, five years. The firm went through uh, a downward economic turn I was laid off so I decided okay this is my chance to learn about other practice areas and so I started my own practice I was doing energy but I did um, court appointed criminal work I had some civil rights cases employment cases and I just I I loved it it was it was so different from what i had been doing there was so much to learn it was exciting people were were helpful to me once I actually got Out there. I I discovered all of that. Before that, you know, as I went through interview processes, um, I found that to be a little bit um, difficult just because I felt like I was always in a position where I was asking somebody for something. But when I started my firm, I became their equal. I was a business owner just like they were. And um, it just changed the whole dynamic. And so I've had my practice since then, and it's gone through a whole bunch of iterations depending on my um, my own personal situation right. i uh i was uh, i guess after I'd had my firm for about four years I had my first child and so i went I was working part time I was doing of counsel work with another firm um, and I continued like that through my second child then I uh, sort of ramped up my practice again um, I had uh, an associate for a while, I've had assistants, I often have contract attorneys and um, I've just continued doing the energy work just because it's it's been there and the energy field has changed and so the types of work that I'm doing in that practice area are very different now than what they were um, before. So um, it doesn't seem like I've been doing the same thing for as long as I have been.
0: Which is important and uh, let me just go back and, and every single guest that I sort of speak to. Um, I go back to the moment where they either decided that they're going to be they're going to start their own shop, or that they knew all along that this is something that they wanted to do. So, did you know when you were in law school that you wanted to do this? And I don't mean just law. I mean sincerely, open up your own shop, set your own rules, etc. And if you didn't you know, take me back to that decision where, you know, you leave big law for whatever reason. So a lot of people have been laid off. A lot of people just said, you know, I can't take this anymore. I do amazing work and they just give me more of it. And I just feel like a robot. What what turns right? So what does that decision entail? What what fights are you having internally about, you know, self-doubt or anything else? Take me to sort of that moment, if you will.
1: Well, you know, when I started my firm again, I, I felt at the time that it was almost an act of desperation. As I said, I'd been laid off from my position. The economy was very bad. Um, my husband and I—I I, I was married. We had just bought a house. I had mortgage. I still had student loans, and so I felt that it was an act of desperation. But then, I guess, a few years later, looking back at journals I kept in law school, I discovered that I was writing about wanting to start my own practice there was there were passages in the journal saying oh I've got another interview to go on I don't know why I bother I'm planning on starting my own firm anyway so I That's guess awesome. Awesome. there's something in my psyche sure. that um, had had thought about it but but because I had forgotten it um, you know when when I started my firm anyway uh, I just felt I, I felt at that time that I just didn't have an opportunity to do everything that I wanted to do in the law. I had been working for five years, and I had only had a couple of motions hearings through pro bono work. I hadn't really had my name at the top line of a brief. Um, I had a couple of very small clients, but otherwise they were the firm's clients, and I just felt like I hadn't done what... I wanted to do and so that's why I decided to start because it would give me that opportunity.
0: Do you think, um, and and I ask this because uh, a lot of sort of law students have reached out to me. I started my own firm when I was 24 right out of the gate and students kind of romanticize that notion, right? So I would speak at New York Law School and they would say, wow, that's absolutely amazing. (laughs) Do you get that a lot when when people reach out to you? Do they think that it's just, you know, complete heaven and, or, or what sort of the response you get when you sort of discuss that?
1: Well, you know, when I speak with other people in my practice area, energy practitioners, they think it is like the most difficult, complicated thing to do because (laughs) they've always associated this practice area with a large firm. Now, increasingly though... There, there are an increasing number of attorneys in this practice area who are starting firms, so it's it is done more commonly. So the, uh, you know, the reaction that I would get from colleagues were, you know, wow, you're brave, or do you think you're going to make any money at that, or um, you know, they they thought it was, they saw all of the downsides, they didn't see any of. The upsides, you know, they they thought, oh, you know, how are you going to work for a big utility client? And I thought, well, there's a lot of other really interesting businesses out there that aren't large utilities that you can represent, right. or you know more interesting. Um, so so that tends to be uh, more of the reaction that that I hear than people who are very focused on the oh, you know, you can probably do. Um, Anything that you 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 want to, um, but but both views are is both very polarized views. I mean, it's really something in the middle, right? Yeah, <laughs> the reality
0: is always in the middle between that. I mean, you know, from my personal experience, when I started, I was thinking to myself, "Dear God, you know, what have I done? I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing." And that, and the flip side of it, I was thinking, "Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is working. I can't believe I'm doing this. This is going to work." Um, so some days I would wake up in the cold sweat and other days I would literally wake up and go, I am my own boss. This is amazing. I'm going to go have coffee right now. Um, and that was because I didn't have any clients so I could have coffee whenever <laughs> I want during that time. You know, Going to that though, I mean, how did you even get clients when you first started out? Because the, the practice, what the, where I want to sort of lead this discussion to a certain extent is that someone graduating today and starting up their own practice today or even you know, quitting their jobs and starting up their own practice today versus someone that did this five years ago 10 years ago they're vastly different in terms oh. of how to sort of survive or even get your initial clients so how did that how'd you start getting clients when when you started how'd you start you know networking what did you do really
1: so it, it really it was a completely different world because back then people in my industry didn't even market for right. clients you know there were clients that were passed down through the generations right. you, Found a firm, and you stayed with them. My my firm that I worked for, they had institutional clients literally going back to like Hoover Dam. Wow! <laughs> so, wow. Um, you know, and 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 they did. They knew how to take care of them. I mean, I I you know I, I watched how they did that. But um, so when I started, I I try I met with different attorneys, uh you know just other energy attorneys, introducing myself to see if I might be able to get referrals and. I started identifying uh, groups that most firms weren't involved in. So for example, um, I would gotten interested in um, ocean renewable energy, and I learned about this Marine Technology Society that had these monthly lunches. And so I went to one of the lunches, and I met this um, man there who was... Uh, he was a businessman who wanted to start some sort of a an association or a nonprofit uh, to research ocean renewable energy, and so I guess I, I think he did feel sorry for me, but he did he did hire <laughs> me to do that, and um, he he became a very good client. He referred me some other cases, and uh, he used to like to have lunch also. So we used to have lunch like once a month at these fancy restaurants. So sure. it was it was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I also had sort of branched out to some extent, so I did start doing, I did court-appointed uh, criminal defense work, and I don't, I, you know, I, I, I know this is a very sensitive area about people handling these cases uh, if they don't know what they're doing. I, I was terrified of those cases, so I took this three-day public defender's class, and then I bought all these books, which, you know, they seemed really expensive, you know, they're like, I don't know, a hundred dollars. and. Right. You know, you're starting out, especially back then. Um, and I would like read them and underline them, and I always carried them all to court. So, you know, and I started with the small cases, but that those those were nice. Those helped to pay the rent. And then I think I wound up um, working with when I was when I had worked at um, the government agency. There was one attorney who I had, you know helped out a couple of times and I wound up meeting up with him and he he had a couple of appellate matters he didn't like doing any kind of appellate work or public speaking and so I hooked up with him and you know started doing those and pretty soon you know just from there uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to think you know how, how it evolved I think it just sort of um evolved from there but especially um in in the energy practice it took a very, very, very long time um, to get referrals, just because of the nature of that um, of that business. Do
0: Do you think that's the gift and the curse to a certain extent, the way it was done before? Because I had I had a similar sort of experience. I, I started out. I think it was uh, two thousand six, and you know, I the internet at that time was there, obviously, and, and I had started my website. But at the same time. I was doing a lot of in-person stuff. I would go to networking events. I would reach out to attorneys and say, "Please let me buy you a cup of coffee. Let me buy you lunch," mm-hmm. um, and figure, you know, I just want to see how you actually do this. And that resulted in really, really good connections, um, or at least some guidance. And I started figuring out, you know, what's what. Do you see that that's not done enough today, given the prevalence? And I don't want to make a sort of cliche kind yeah. of, "Well, everyone's online now, so are people not talking?" But Is everyone online now, and people aren't talking, right? So, when when you start up your own practice today, is there almost too much of an emphasis on the online component of it, and less so on the personal one, which, in my experience, has paid so much more in terms of dividends than anything I've ever done online?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess part of it depends on the circumstances. You know, in individual circumstances, when they're starting a practice, I do tend to agree with you that, you know really um, getting involved with, um, you know, in 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 groups and kind of, you know, doing FaceTime or meeting with people, I mean, it definitely will always yield to something. And in fact, even thinking back to those early days, almost every one of those attorneys I met with at the beginning either, you know, threw me a piece of contract work, one of them right. eventually sublet me space. So it really, I, I think that it does make a big difference. Um, I guess at the same time, um, you know, it's it's hard to know why. You know, that's it's that's much more time consuming sometimes than than being online. And I think depending on your your particular circumstances, I mean, I think if you're a young person who's you know like single or has a spouse but has a lot of time, doesn't have child commitments or commitments for watching parents or you know other people like that, I think you really do get an edge making those. Personal connections. Um, I think, though, that sometimes, again, depending on your stage, and I saw this when I was um, when my daughters were young, and I was working, you know, part time. And I say it in quotes because it really it wasn't, you know, I was either you know watching them or working, so I had like really late night hours. But I just couldn't manage the time, you know. Even back then, you know, even trying to juggle to figure out like if I could go to a a meeting at night was so time consuming, and I, I, I think. My practice probably did suffer to some extent, and so the online um, mechanisms did help to compensate a little bit um, you know so so I think that they probably are still um, not quite as effective unless you can follow them up with with personal meetings uh, and reinforce like them
0: yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the same thing that I feel in that, you know, we were, we were just talking about some of our mentors and, and one of my mentors actually said at some point, he said, you, you have to do this networking now um, because you're going to be so tired of this stuff within five to ten years in terms of just your physical energy and your life commitments that yeah. it's going to be almost an impossibility no matter how much you want to do it. You know, when you have to pick your kid up at school, you can't necessarily make the next Bar Association meeting at 530 or 6 o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to focus on it initially right now when you have the time um, to do so. And I think that, that that advice has been huge for me at least. Um, and I think that the online component is great. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about as well because you have such a large online presence. Um, where do you sort of, let, let's switch up for a second. Where do you see solo and, and small firms going, right? Discussing networking and everything else. But let's say you're you're starting up now, is it is it tougher uh to start up now? Is it easier to start up now? And where do you see sort of solo practice going down the line, next five, ten years?
1: Well, I think I think starting today is still in many ways easier than starting 10 or 20 years ago. I mean, first of all, there's just there's just such a wealth of resources that didn't exist before. And I know, I mean, I, I read Floomberg like everybody else and I found it um it's throughout again throughout different stages I found it to be useful or not when I first read it I was sort of like ant eh, but then a few right. years later I look back I'm like oh yeah that really did make sense should have done that <laughs> um, but it was it was what he had he had a monopoly on the market for one particular type of person and one particular type of practice and today there's just you know so much inspiration that you can find from you know all of the different voices of solos and new lawyers starting out with marketing advice and so so that and and you feel you you know and you don't feel like it's such a novelty you don't feel as isolated so I think that in that respect things are um are easier in terms of um, access to different types of information and also access to access to resources that can make you more competent. you can take um online classes or you know learn about courses that are you know uh, that are available so um, so that part i think is easier in terms of competition i mean it's you know it's 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 always it's always hard to gauge that i mean you know for example i always hear i i read in the newspaper about how difficult it is for people who graduate from college to get jobs and yet you know i have two nieces or i have friends who have kids who have graduated and they all have pretty good jobs sure, sure. Um just you know so it's it's sort of you know you you read the statistics and you know it's it's hard to figure out how that matches with the with the reality so it's difficult to say i don't i don't think it's any more or less difficult to start a firm today than it than it was before i mean even though you know more people are i suppose more people are starting law firms but there's there's always been there's always been competition and maybe before your competition wasn't from a solo but maybe it was from like a big a right. big mill like a bankruptcy mill right. or a you know personal injury mill so um, I think there's always been that competition um, where solo and small firm practice is going um, that's that's hard to say it's something that uh, that does concern me to some extent because I do see some solos and smalls who don't really seem to be um planning for the future and you know in fact it's not really something i thought about very seriously until a few years ago but um i think that uh i think there definitely is a danger of um attorneys being sort of co-opted into these larger um I don't know if you'll call them buying groups like the uh, Used to be like Hyatt Legal Services or Jacobian right. Myers, but these these prepaid uh, legal groups that can really um, bargain and leverage for for lower uh, lower fees. I mean, I think that's you know potentially uh, one concern that I have. Um, I don't, you know, I I think I do see a role for um, you know for. I guess, virtual law services or for making legal, you know, for being able to communicate with clients online, or to be able to, you know, accommodate them outside the scope of a nine to five job. I mean, sometimes it is, you know, very difficult for somebody to come to an office, you know, from, from nine to five. So I think lawyers who, you know, don't deviate from that particular structure and, you know, require people to come in at a particular time, um, you know, to some extent, they might have, um, they may have some sort of, uh, disadvantage, um, it, but I think you'll also see. I mean, what I hope you'll see anyway is I hope what we'll see in the next five to ten years are the emergence of all different types of legal services. You know, legal services that are you know available you know six o'clock until midnight, or that are available on the weekends. Um, that you know uh, provide different uh, different levels of of service but all within the same within the same firm I mean because I think if you're you know if if you're doing smaller matters or sort of these quote-unquote unbundled matters I mean I, those don't work as a standalone for a small right. firm you have to have other bigger cases to subsidize or counterbalance them
0: to actually make money I mean yeah <laughs> yes. right, to actually actually make you know make the rent yes. do you think that so this is something I sort of want to get in into sort of discussing with you, do you think that, you mentioned that lawyers aren't planning for it, and I agree with you a thousand percent, um, in that attorneys just think, this. is it because we're, we're really, some of us are really bad at business, or what is it because, you know, I've interacted with, and I always leave out of this uh, criminal defense attorneys, because I think there's always going to be a market for them. I think that, at least I look at them very differently than I do transactional attorneys, um, to a certain extent. But do you think that The attorneys simply aren't planning because they think it's going to be the same thing over and over again. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, we do real estate law. And the reason we charge what we charge typically is because the market sets that rate, right? So we charge a little bit more than the competition does. There's others that charge way more. But it's a horrendously inefficient process. Everything from starting the contract to getting it signed it's done through Bloomberg forms that you know are 20 years old via fax sent back and forth. There's six attorneys at a closing table. It could be done with literally the, the, the signature on an iPad in, in about a third of the time. And I think eventually it will be because it's so inefficient. But I guess my question is, why aren't attorneys planning for the next stage of it? Because my, my sort of take on it is that many of us are dead in the way that, you know, we think law is going to be practiced 5, 10, 15 years from now, as it potentially should be because we're charging crazy amounts for things that are taking us a very small amount of time to actually do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that, you know, we're sort of stuck with the structure. Like I would imagine that the reason you're using all those forms is that's just how things are done and if you showed up with your iPad you'd be kicked out of the room. That's
0: correct. And I tried to do that and they they're all like stop, what are you what are you doing, weirdo? You know, sit down. So it's just
1: and you know it's it's like that with a lot of these these court proceedings. If you practice in a court that doesn't have e filing, you don't have a lot of incentive to to even you know go digital with with your documents. Right. Um you know I have these regulatory proceedings that are massive that I would love to be able to charge less for, but if I have to send out 25 copies every time I file something yep. and keep big paper binders, you know, it's it becomes there's at least at a minimum um, administrative cost. So I think part of it is just the um, the the system, you know, kind of um, you know the system in part. Um, confines people from becoming more efficient. And then when you couple that with being very busy and very focused on things, you don't really necessarily take the time to get up to speed on something that you're not going to use um, immediately. Right. So, you know, um, it it may, you know, it may depend, you know, upon what that particular, uh, thing is that you don't, that you don't keep up with. But, you know, if you're, you know, like I said, if you're doing, if you're doing a lot of paper filings, maybe you're not up on, you know, digital document management, or if you don't do a lot of, uh, litigation in, in big civil cases, you're not up on, um, e-discovery. And so it's kind of hard to, um, to innovate when you're forced to sort of do things, uh, Sure. The, the dinosaur way, sure. but um, I, I think at the same time, you also, you know, we're sort of up against what clients are becoming used to in other avenues of their life, and, you know, for example, like with um, with healthcare, I guess I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, I mean, recently all of my doctors have, um, e- even our pediatrician who we stayed with for years, who was completely disorganized. They've even gone to an online system because yeah. of the Affordable Care Act, and so people are really becoming accustomed to, you know, being able to get their medical records online um, and being able to pay for transactions online, and so you become very impatient with people who don't offer those same. Um, those same amenities so that i i think you know so and i think once clients start wanting something or you see that you're not getting clients because you don't offer a particular service or don't make something convenient you know that that i think forces uh... lawyers to change right (laughs) and
0: but and to to the point about price in terms of in terms of that structure so there's always fears of this sort of race to the bottom but the discussion never sort of so there's never or at least i don't see too much of a discussion of should we be charging what we're charging and i'm not talking about you know going to court or being able to do certain things i i just mean on a on a very simple level so for instance wills right so for simple wills um should we be charging 1500 dollars, right if legal zoom or someone else is charging 150 to 200 dollars, is there any reason that are we scared of that discussion or is that something that's even that should be discussed at all because at the end of the day it's a lot of it is ego yes for complex things, you know, it makes sense to charge whatever it is that you're charging because of your experience, et cetera. But for simple things, and, and I point to this because it was, I love your, your, your blog and your website. There's, there's a couple sort of comments that go back and forth between people that, where they say, look, should we even be charging as much as we are for these things that take us five minutes to do? And is that a conversation we're having enough? Should we have that conversation? Because it's more of an existential conversation, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. no, it, it is, but you know, it's, it is. It's. It's again. It's something that's different. It's difficult to analogize in, um, in, in other professions. I sure. mean, I guess you know, for doctors, you. It doesn't matter what the procedure is. You have your insurance. You don't really um, pay attention right. to the cost. Um, but, you know, I think, it, and and certainly, you know, you're looking at things like like value. Also, I mean, I don't know what the. You know, I I think. I think it probably depends on the situation. I think there's probably a lot of lawyers sure. who are doing the $1,500 will who really are just kind of in and out doing like a one-off, filling out a form and not right. paying any additional attention. Right. But I guess if you're doing something where you're, um, you know, giving people value add and advice on not just on their will, but on, you know, planning or tips. I will give the example with um, my husband and I recently had to update our estate plans and um, the attorney who we used is um, certainly is not the cheapest in town. Um, I doubt she's the most expensive, but considerably, charges considerably more than um, LegalZoom or many lawyers. But she had so many useful pieces of advice, not just on the will, but just on things like what to do to you know with regard to, um, to medical care, doctor's sure. visits, keeping track of passwords. I mean, all of that kind of value-added information that isn't necessarily something that's unique to a lawyer, but because they've seen these things so many times, they know that. I mean, I think that's worth paying
0: for. Yeah. The practical application of it, right? So not right. just saying, here's a will, thanks so much, pay the secretary. It's, well, this is additionally what you should do and what you should do and what you should do. The problem is conveying that right so how does that lawyer then tell people that this is something she also does
1: right and so that's um i mean that is something that is um i think that's a harder sell i mean with this particular attorney i kind of you know i'd known her from various listservs and i could just tell from types of advice um but i think otherwise it's just a matter of um you know, either going out and meeting people, uh, doing, um, I mean, to those educational seminars, some of them have become so salesy that it's like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just, just like horrific. Uh-huh. Um, I, 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 think that, you know, blogs or providing online content can also give people a sense of these types of issues that they might want, um, to be, uh, they, they might want considered. I mean, honestly, you know, I, it's, it's certainly something also a message that different bar associations could have um, maybe helped to yeah promote <laughs> right. but, they but they have not
0: they um, wh- When you discuss it, so this is an idea that always plays in my head, and I, I sort of want to get your thoughts on this. And something that that I had spoken to a couple of guests about before is that you know when I when I started my own practice, um, I was I was a doorknob lawyer. I was doing anything that came in, and then slowly but surely I started doing specific practice areas to wit bankruptcy and real estate. Do you think that there may be a turn back, and and this is sort of sacrilege to a certain extent, but from a financial and feasibility standpoint, does it make sense to potentially look at a general practice in a very different sense? So for instance, if someone were to do, you know, let's say you had a real estate attorney and the will's attorney and, and the will's attorney wasn't getting a lot of standalone business and they partnered up, um, and they said, "Look for every one of your real estate clients, you know, bring them back in, and we'll do a will for a discounted price. But doing this from from the real perspective of instead of solos, like five solos getting together and doing this, even on the virtual basis, do we see more of that in the future? Do we see that down the pipe does that does that make sense only because it would seem as if the client more than anything else these days they want one stop shops for a lot of things, right, so you can uh, go to Max Delivery in New York and go food shopping and also have the, the person deliver that, that stuff to you. Um, you can go to Amazon and get whatever it is that you need. Do you see that happening for law? Is that a good sort of thing to have for law?
1: Um yeah I mean, I think that those types of um, solutions uh, or, or the, that that type of idea is something that makes sense because it is convenient to clients and it also gives an individual lawyer access to other services that they don't otherwise have I mean and you kind of see that you know you you, you see that online a lot too you know like you you sign into most things with you can sign in with Facebook or right. Or LinkedIn, you know, so there's this sort of affiliate partnerships. So, so there, I think that's something that's important. And then, um, y- you know, and that's something that is is definitely a trend. I think also um, just having sort of you know, right now there's this um, doctor who is, he's got this little office in town a couple of blocks from where we are and he's, um, he just does, uh, you know, sort of walk-in ambulatory care and then he'll also do a lot of um, tests, so he'll do like the blood work or lab work and he's got, you know, hours from like 9 in the morning till 9 at night. I know when he first started he worked seven days a week, but he's, so convenient. I mean, he can't do anything complicated, and honestly, he's like even for you know like really complex diagnoses, he is not always on point. But for your broken toe or your you know your nail stuck in your finger, those kinds of things. Yeah. So it would be you know I think it could be very helpful and potentially um, profitable to have um, sort of a general practice walk-in that's just like that where people can get things notarized or, you know, get advice on, you know, filling out Social Security's Disabilities Form, I mean, completely general and just, you know, cash on the spot. I don't know if it's something that for lawyers could work as a standalone, um, but maybe if a couple of attorneys... Um, you know, collaborated on sort of that type of a clinic, and then it could potentially feed clients to them. I mean, I, I guess my thing is that a lot of these new ide quote unquote, new ideas that we're seeing today in terms of um, you know the the different um, types of new law models, I think a lot of them are good ideas, but lawyers should be doing them, not. Non-lawyers, so right. you know, um, so you know, like if lawyers could collaborate on some sort of information site that had a bankruptcy and a real estate and a lot of different components, and you know, use, uh, you know, build it up to attract clients um, to to those different practice areas, you know, I think that is very uh, far preferable to non-attorneys doing it and
0: taking a cut of it. Why why are we constrained from it? Why aren't we doing it? Or or, or, I should say, are we constrained by anything? And I don't, you know, I'm not talking about ethics issues in terms of stealing money from an escrow account and flying to Aruba, but is there too much of a constraint on us? Why aren't we innovating in this way? And I I mean, innovating in the sincerest form, it's used all over the place. And I'm not going to throw around the word disrupt, but if we're looking around us and going, oh my God, you know, this doesn't look good. This company is out, and they're offering something that the client doesn't understand, right? But is charging significantly less. Then why aren't lawyers getting together and doing these sort of um, these sort of innovative things that will allow us to morph into what law is likely becoming? And and again, I'm specifically talking about solo and small firms because I think whenever you talk about law, big law and medium law have way. I mean, it's just a different country.
1: Mm. Um,
0: than solo and small firm practitioners are. And even within that, there's subsets, but are we constrained in terms of not doing these things? Like why, if we see this is where it's going, why aren't we doing it?
1: I mean, I guess there's, I mean, there's sort of, first of all, sort of a self, a a self constraint. I mean, I think there are some attorneys who would you know, who prefer the business model of becoming sort of the out, you know, a top, Attorney um, in their practice area, the one who's always going to get the calls, who's always going to command the higher rates. So there's definite and and that even you know so that type of model doesn't necessarily reconcile with you know something like this, which is a little bit more accessible and more general. I think the second thing too is that um, it really I think it's only until the past couple of years that being able to put something like this together because even if you you know physically your offices are located near each other you're still going to need some technology to glue to kind of hold this together perhaps automate some things or enable you to have you know a, a remote assistant help manage all of this and i really think actually the tools those types of tools have only become available um... in a more widespread basis and a more affordable basis in the past couple of years, so I think I think we will see people starting to revisit this issue. I mean, the third thing is is that sometimes attorneys just don't play well together. I think you have to find the right people who are going to work together and be committed to doing something like that. But I think the lawyers who do agree to do something like that, I think there, I think the sky's the limit. I think there's there are a lot of opportunities, and I think now is really the time to jump because these platforms that you can use to enable those types of arrangements are emerging now.
0: In the time that we have left, I want to pick your brain about a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important of which, and we just touched upon it, is what do you think about opening um, the profession to non-lawyers? I had arguments back and forth with a couple of people, a couple of guests before on this. In limited circumstances, I think it's it's fine. I think it's actually necessary and, and should be done. Um, In really limited circumstances, but because I don't think there's an access to the kinds of services that low income people need people that can afford lawyers need and certainly, there's more than enough lawyers that that sort of there's great lawyers that do pro bono work, but there's way more clients than than pro bono can possibly handle right now. What are your thoughts on just opening this up to to non lawyers?
1: You know, I have to say, I you know, especially now, I'm not really a fan of it. I okay. feel like there's a lot of ways to put to use um, underutilized lawyers. I also think that, I mean, I've worked with some, you know, in in my field, I, I practice at an agency where you don't even have to be represented by an attorney, and I work with. A lot of really, really smart people, but when, and I'll talk to them, they'll have great ideas about how to pursue the case. And then when I take a look at what they might produce, it doesn't have they're the same um, type of uh, level of analysis that you really need. I mean, I really do think, I, I do believe there is this sort of thinking like a lawyer and whether it's something that's taught in law school or by reading books or watching attorneys I I don't know exactly how people come to have it certainly not all lawyers have it right um, but I think that there are ways to better uh, utilize um, attorneys in in those situations rather than um, non-lawyers I mean I would just be very concerned about You know, I guess you know having a non-lawyer do intake of a form or something like that, giving a little bit of offhand advice. But you know, like in a courtroom or um, you know, or a contested proceeding, um, or even you know, in some types, maybe not negotiations, but in in, you know, in a contested proceeding, I think it's really um, you can't underestimate um, the ability of an attorney to be able to um, to advocate. Um the second thing with the non-lawyers is I'm not just so sure that they're going to be any less expensive than attorneys. I mean if you have a really experienced attorney, you know, a very experienced attorney can handle a lot of these matters um you know very quickly. I I know that you know the co- the few times I've been in sort of like not a small claim, like a, a district court where they're doing like little debt collection disputes and things like that. I mean, that might be one case where you would send a non-lawyer, but I mean, I'm sure I'm always, uh, like I always look at the cases and before they go up, I think, okay, these are the arguments they're going to make even without looking at the file. Right. I mean, any lawyer could, you know, walk in there and, you know, do just as good a job of um, representation if there were a way to sort of, you know, open it up to to get them access. So I'm not, not a big fan of the... Uh, the non-lawyer uh, representation, because I think, and, and the third thing is that again, a lot of the costs associated with the case are not necessarily legal fees. There's, you know, expert witness fees, deposition transcripts, filing fees. I mean, those those costs are still gonna are going to be there even with um, a non-lawyer assistance. So, um, I, I, I have meant doubts. more
0: specifically, in terms of let's say someone goes to, you know sam's club and they need to get a will drawn up or a simple will drawn up or they need to get something notarized or i mean not even a notary but you know very small transactional things that they don't have so they 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 typically don't you know get wills done then because they say well i can't afford a lawyer to get a will and then they have this whole you know process that that they have to go through or even you know i was reading the new york times on sunday and they have a um this thing in california now where if people are being people were being evicted from their apartments but there wasn't enough lawyers to do this on a pro bono basis they they're testing out a program to give representation from non-lawyers to these people that are that essentially previously would have just either not shown up to court um or you know they don't speak english and this is in civil civil cases in no circumstances i think that it may be better than nothing to a certain extent right because the yeah
1: yeah no that's that's true. I did see also there is this this service in California where they have non lawyers fighting the traffic the the yeah. parking tickets so that's actually yeah i I think that that's definitely a good idea i mean certainly for cases that a lawyer is never going to that's that's never going to be economic for for a lawyer you know, right. to hire a lawyer you're not going to pay three hundred dollars an hour to beat your fifty dollar ticket um right. so yeah, so I would agree in those cases where there aren't where there's no way for a lawyer to make things um to, to make it economically viable the, the the cases that get me nervous are like having the the non lawyer bankruptcy no that,
0: those are the worst for,
1: you know four hundred dollars no. where you could you know get a lawyer to do it for not that much. Well, it would be more, but you know, you're not going to lose your house either. Right. So.
0: That's that's the flip part of it. We've seen so many people use We the People, and I call it yeah. complete crap all the time uh, because it's just horrible. You see these people come in and for a savings of you know, because f- there's plenty of attorneys that will do volume and they'll do it for three, four hundred bucks more than what they're paying Legal Zoom or We the People, whatever it is. And the difference is you keep your house, right? Right. right. Versus versus that. Um, social media has been. You know, it's such a key word and key phrase, and I, I just I can't stand it. Typically, when it comes to lawyers and everything else, but your stance on it in terms of getting clients. So, I remember six years ago or seven years ago, there was a ton of lawyer consultants that were out. That just, you know, we are absolutely gonna we're gonna kill it for you. We're gonna get you on social media as if it was like a thing. Yeah. And clients are just gonna come in from it. You know, what are your thoughts on it? Because for, for me specifically, I've been able to establish really good relationships with people that I respect. On social media, some you know others troll me, but uh, yeah. there's others that you know I respect and, and I have a great time with and I can go back and forth with. But as a direct line for clients, I've I've literally gone on record all the time and said, I think it's complete crap. I don't think you're ever maybe you get a one off or something along those lines, but I'm still not a huge proponent of you know doing this whole LinkedIn presence and then money, right? So money comes in. So LinkedIn and then money. Ooh. What are your thoughts on it? what is it what has it been useful for for you if 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 anything
1: well it's always i mean you know i've been using social media for a long time it has um it had always been useful in um my practice area just because a lot of other ways of getting my name out were were so costly right. um i mean you know up until recently you know you would get known about either by, you know, speaking at a conference that cost like a thousand dollars to attend and then, you know, a thousand dollars to, you know, <laughs> pay your plane fare and, you know, and and things like that. Um and so, you know, social media having, you know, a, a blog on, you know, some discrete issues in energy practice kind of um helped address that. Um but uh you know in at the same time my industry also, you know, most of the lawyers in my industry are not really um on social media. I mean, I I would say it definitely has enhanced my presence. The one area where it has really made a huge difference is um, I've started doing these um, uh, landowner rights cases that involve um, pipeline siting and then eminent domain and I have um, sort of a publication online uh, that gets circulated through a lot of different websites and Facebook pages by citizens groups and that actually (laughs) Gets me, um, it gets me a lot of clients. Although I'm not doing the social media on it, so I think they're, you know, of course. Then again, they're not all clients I necessarily want to represent. Um, <laughs> That's the flip it, side it, of it, that, it, it right? It, because it's, it's as somebody said, you really do get a lot of calls from people who. You know, I, I don't call them like freeloaders. I mean, they just they I will call have them that. You know, I, <laughs>
0: I will 100% call them freeloaders. But, yeah, but yeah,
1: but I mean, they, you know, they have a question, they don't know where to turn. They see your name, you know, you're all of a sudden you're fielding all these calls of people who are not necessarily going to lead to uh, a Anything. Case review, So, you
0: okay. know. Um, two sort of last things is is do you think blogging is dead? Um, because it's it's something that's thrown around now. So again, just going back to when I started my practice, the, the way I literally made, uh, made my name was through, and found clients, was specifically through, not through social media, but just through my blog, um, because it allowed clients to sort of peruse what I was saying, and I tried to use a completely different voice. Um, but then everyone and their mothers started, and, and people were blogging way before me, mind you, um, but just every competitor I had in every marketplace started putting up whatever blog that, you know, was either written by them or third parties that was put up. And it seemed the, the attention span seems to have changed now a little bit uh, and it's more quick and, and direct. Do you think blogging's dead? Do you think it has a future? You know, what is it? What is it sort of good for?
1: Well, I'm curious, do you still keep up your firm's blog?
0: Less, less than I did before and I'll tell you why and I'm very public about it. There is only so many times I can explain to you whether or not you're likely gonna be able to keep your car if you file for bankruptcy. (laughs) And so many times I can do it, you know, until I just, I I wanna put myself to sleep because it's just, it's horrendous. So yes, I, I will blog and I'll blog about some current events but when I started my blog, it was always, I looked at it two ways. I could either blog to other attorneys which I know a lot of bloggers do and and it's fantastic or I can blog directly to the consumer and I chose the consumer and you know there's pros and cons to that and one of the cons is that once you say everything you can possibly say you're just repeating yourself and you're just putting out content for the sake of putting out content versus really good content. So while you know now I'm doing this podcast and we did videos and other things my blogging has you know certainly been cut down from where it was before because i don't think i can add anything new to the conversation i don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it
1: right i mean it it i have to say it pains me these days when i read some blogs cuz they're they're horrible. so
0: bad it's horrible
1: they're not even <laughs> saying anything horrible and and <laughs> i mean when a blog is good like there's nothing like a really good blog it's right. just the the writing the 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 way that the author takes this topic and just you know has so familiar with it and just discusses it you know day after day and there's nothing like a great blog like that but the thing is is you know I really don't know what incentive there is for people to continue blogging high quality because honestly people are going to take your stuff and in many cases, they will use it, yeah. and in many cases, they're not going to hire you. I mean, no. and, you know, I know, like, you know, and so, you know, a lot of times the quality that's out there um, on these blogs is, is not that great.
0: It's crap. It's yeah. complete and utter crap for yeah. the vast majority of ones that I'm looking at because I think that they think some, some SEO guy or some consultant told them, you know what you really have to do after 20 years of practice and now the phone's not ringing? You got to start blogging. And that person says, well, what's a blog? And then they'll say, well, we can blog for you. Um, and then you have all these blogs that'll say bankruptcy is wonderful. Call the bankruptcy attorneys at Gershberg Law because they're wonderful. Or they'll, you know, try and I guess show their knowledge, but in this heart, like stuff you wouldn't want to read if your life depended on it, right? Because it's horrifically boring. So. Do you, would you even tell people to start, if people haven't started already, right, would you tell them to start now? Because I, I, for the most part, when I speak to people, I say, look, unless you're really into it and and passionate about it, just stop, you know, find another way, because it's not, it's not going to result in what you think it's going to result in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think if you could find um, a very discreet, kind of um, quirky, area to blog about like um, there's the one attorney in DC Matthew Kaiser who was blogging about just the uh, federal circuit courts Overturning uh, criminal convictions. It was a very limited set sure. of opinions. So, if you can come up with like some very uh, you know unique or limited area, I think somebody there was a blog that was started that had to do with just like um, ethics and in intellectual property. Right. I think if you have like a really narrow. Um, approach like that, that you can, um, th- then I think, and, and that you're also passionate enough about to track, I think it's worth following. Otherwise, you know, honestly, I have at least in, in my practice area, I mean, I blogged a long time about, you know, marine hydrokinetics, and that actually mm-hmm. did get me, I mean, it led to starting a trade association, which led to, you know, a lot of different work projects. But um but where I get more traction in my practice area is just from sending out um newsletters. Sure. So with the newsletter I'm not as there's a little bit more protection. I'm not as concerned about, you know, sending out something really substantive and having somebody use it. And um and also you don't have that same pressure to publish all the time. Sure and you know people will take them and save them and read them later so I do get a lot of recognition from just sending out it's a very very infrequent newsletter these days but it was <laughs> usually like once every month or two months and uh, you know and that that seemed to be valuable so I, I would say that focus on a very content rich uh, newsletter um, you know if, if you don't think you're gonna be able to keep the blog up right.
0: And also, I would just add, be a person. And what I mean by that is this, so I was, I was perusing, perusing your blog, and one of your posts discussed the hard times that, that you were having this year and the many sort of obstacles that you were having, and I loved it. <laughs> and the reason I loved, and had zero mention of law or anything else really, I mean, there was a couple things, but the reason is that it humanized you, right? So, and I think a lot of lawyers are missing that, um, and that's sort of a way to distinguish yourself and differentiate yourself. To a certain extent, if you're gonna do this, is people don't just wanna hire there there is literally no difference. If you if you looked at my website and the next four bankruptcy attorneys down, so you'll see I have a completely obnoxious picture of myself online, <laughs> just a humongous obnoxious picture. But other than that, you know, the, the it's WordPress, it's a lot of the content's very similar, etc. But the one place you can sort of distinguish yourself if you're going to go this route is be a person and have a personality. I think all too often, attorneys, solos specifically, you know, they'll blog and they'll blog something about something obscure or let's say something specific, but they'll never let their personality shine through. Are you sarcastic? Are you not? You know, do you make jokes? Do you not? And I think that they've been trained almost to think that you have to stick to this, right? Don't display who you are. But I think. The only way to really survive because you have, as you mentioned, so much information is to sort of say, I'm Danny. This is, you know, this is who I am. I'm, I'm sarcastic about these sort of things. And this will jive with you in personality wise and you'll probably call me or you think I'm absolutely horrible because of this sarcasm and you won't call me. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of it has to do with sort of differentiating yourself, not by saying, you know, and I, I talk about this and I, I have a on, on our about us page. I list my Yelp reviews, which are five-star and my Google five-star and my super lawyer, and I have no idea why I'm a super lawyer rising star, like no idea at all. Um, It's based on nothing I've done. (laughs) But I also have this disclaimer that says everything you see on the left-hand side is completely and utterly meaningless. Mm -hmm. Um, The people that left these reviews loved what we did, but that doesn't at all mean you're going to. You may hate us, and you shouldn't hire us because of these things. Um, I think people will shift. I'd love to know sort of your viewpoint on this and that – because there's so much noise out there because there's so many five star glowing i'm amazing at this you know everyone's high-fiving me the only thing you can do is sort of say this is who i am personality wise and and i hope that you know i would be matched with you in terms of representing you in whatever it is that that you know that you're doing because i uh, we share similar interests or we have the same outlook on life
1: yeah no i do think those are important you're right about the reviews it's um you know, at one time, I think they did have some value, and occasionally, I think it. You know, depending on what they say or how many you have, they they still could. But there's others, maybe not so much with the lawyers, but like if you've ever like looked at like legal marketing products or info products, yeah, you know that. The affiliates have all written these things, and it just—it just makes me crazy. So yep. that, yeah, they, and that is going to sort of undermine their value. So, yeah, I mean, it is very unusual to see people have a very strong voice on a website, but you know why? It's because people aren't writing their sites; they have content writers. Right. Doing it. So,
0: right, which is know, insane. That's, <laughs> um, parting thoughts from you. You know, why do you? And this is sort of a big, big sort of question, but why do some lawyers succeed? Why do others fail? Is there something different between those two subsets? So why why does one lawyer actually make it while another actually fails, for the most part, if there is something like that?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, there certainly are, you know, different parameters. I mean, there's there certainly is always some element of luck. But I think the people who, who make it, like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. They are they are dogged. They're like a dog with a bone. They will, you know, follow up on every call. They'll, you know, touch base with with mentors. They'll, you know, go out and, you know, do these things again and again and again and you know, focus on improving their craft. But ultimately, I just think it's this it's it's not anything like really um like sexy or inspirational. It's just (laughs) being like like the dog with the bone
0: (laughs) hustlers right right people that don't stop
1: yeah yeah the ones who just who just don't stop and when you look back and you know you you see them I mean it's you know that's definitely a big piece and then I mean the second thing too is I think also kind of having a good sense of when to shift or when to grow I think there's just people who just have a really good instinct about that like knowing when it's time to quit and when it's time to move on, um, right. I think sometimes people can get stuck in a rut a little bit too long. And I think the people who are successful kind of know when it's time to leave. And sometimes when it's time to leave, you know, things are still pretty good, but it's just it's just time to move on. And when yeah. you know that, um, I think it helps propel you ahead too.
0: Carolyn. I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time um, to actually come on here. Where where can people find you if they actually don't know already? How do they contact you? Uh,
1: they can reach me through myshingle.com, just uh, elephant at myshingle.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, and I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time with me today.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been uh, enjoyable or fun as I thought it would be at the outset, so <laughs> I look forward to listening to these.
0: I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. Thank uh, you so much again, Carolyn.
1: Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.